1998, I had an experience that I hope I never repeat. My close friend's mother was killed in her home. Her assailant was a handyman. He was someone that she had known for years, someone she had trusted and employed. What she didn't know was that he was a crack addict and one day would come to her house and take her life in order to rob her of $80. At the memorial service, there was more violation than grief. There was more shock than tears. Surely Holland's three children and five grandchildren did not have the chance to say goodbye. The police caught the man within 48 hours, and he confessed to the crime. So the family at least had some consolation that he would not claim another victim. But then he did. In custody, he took his own life. That added more pain to an already painful situation. Surely Holland did not fit the profile of a victim of violent crime. She didn't have enemies. She didn't involve herself in illegal activities. She didn't use drugs. She wasn't in conflict with any close family members. She didn't live in a high crime neighborhood. And she didn't own a gun. Shirley's murder shook everyone who knew her. Because we lost more than a marvelous person, we lost our innocence. Some said we lost our ignorance. It was very much like the pain of 9-11. Now what I really want to tell you this morning is the good side to this story. There really is a very good side. You see, Shirley Holland was a retired labor and delivery nurse. For 30 years, she welcomed newborns into the world and nurtured them and their mothers. And she did that in a, in a high crime section of Camden, New Jersey. In fact, the very morning that she died, she was caring for babies in the nursery at her church during a women's Bible study. So there was lots more to Shirley's life than just her life. Shirley had invested heavily in life. Her investments in life were significant. They are lasting and can never be taken away. And her example demonstrates beyond any doubt that the force of life that is at work in the world is powerful and it eventually outweighs all the forces of unlife. Shirley Holland actively chose life. Today is our year of the Bible, week number nine. We're really moving along, aren't we? We have now listened to God's music through the first five movements of the symphony. The fifth movement is the book of Deuteronomy. And in that book, we notice a shift. 
Joining the orchestra, there is a soloist. Deuteronomy is presented as Moses' personal memoirs. They are presented as his own final words, which he shares with the people of Israel. Deuteronomy is like Moses' last will and testament, or like an exit interview, or like a deathbed speech in his closing final lucid moments when he shares the, the, just the core of what's on his heart. In Deuteronomy, then, Moses brings together all of his wisdom, all of his years of experience and reflection, and all his foresight for the benefit of God's people. He expresses his hopes for them and their future. And he also gives them some harsh warnings. And Moses sums up all the hopes and all the warnings by talking to God's people about making choices making choices. This is what Moses says to Israel on the edge of the promised land. See, I have set before you today life and well-being, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by observing God's commandments, then you shall live. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not listen, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, then I declare you, to you today that you will certainly perish. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. That is a beautiful and poignant and weighty text. And there is a very striking perspective. Did you catch it? We're used to thinking of life and death as events, right? Often events over which we have little control. But this scripture says something different. Here, life and death are not conceived as events, but rather as choices we make. Choices we make. The claim of this scripture is that the choices you and I make every day actually move us, maybe others as well, in one of two directions. Our choices either strengthen the power of life and well-being in the world, or they strengthen death and adversity. Our choices count. Our choices land on one side of the scale or the other. Our, our choices tip the balance in one direction or its opposite. And the passage says even more, I have set before you today, today, life and death are choices we make daily and their consequences can be daily.
Choices. Choices are an inescapable part of our lives. And all choices have consequences. Some consequences are small, some are large. Some consequences are immediate. Some consequences are delayed. Some consequences are beneficial. Others are detrimental. Choices are a daily part of human life. And every day is an opportunity for us to make a difference for life in the world. Every day is an opportunity. And there are, friends, people doing just that. There are people all around us who are making a difference by choosing life. Some children in Pennsylvania collected an offering for their vacation Bible school experience. And the children, along with their adult teachers and mentors, decided to offer their vacation Bible school offering to a nearby synagogue. That synagogue had been in the news. That synagogue had had spray-painted messages of hate on their building. The boys and girls decided to take that vacation Bible school offering and deliver it to their Jewish neighbors, which they did. They chose life. The uh, Colorado MCC sale was last weekend. And at the sale, there was a mini forge, a mini forge. Anybody could bring guns, knives, other metal weapons, and they were all melted down in the forge. And then they were refashioned into gardening tools. And you could purchase the gardening tools. It was a literal enactment of Micah chapter 4, verse 3, where plowshares come from beating swords and refashioning them. An instrument of death transformed into an instrument of life. And it is a powerful symbol that mini forge and its outcomes of choosing life. Malala Yousafzai is the youngest person to ever receive the Nobel Peace Prize. Two years ago, she made what seemed like a small choice. Malala made the choice to go to school. Well, that seemingly small choice turned out to be a rather big choice and a dangerous choice because in Pakistan, where she lived, the Taliban made it illegal for girls to go to school. Well, she went anyway, and on her way home from school, she was shot and nearly died. Yet Malala has not stopped making that choice. She simply believes that every person is entitled to an education, boys and girls. Her choice is a choice for life. Some people in our country believe that everyone is entitled to a basic level of health care. Everyone. Whether they have insurance or not, whether they have money or not. They believe that it is a basic right of all human beings 
that anyone who needs medical attention should be able to get it, no questions. And that any nation, every nation that claims to be civilized, simply must find a way to provide that basic health care for every man, woman, and child. No excuses. They believe that choice is a choice for life. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen, friends, if the U.S. made a concerted effort, a real choice to invest heavily, not in a token way, but invest heavily in humanitarian aid in the Middle East. I wonder what would happen. I'm not talking about doing that alongside selling weapons, financing walls, trying to import Western-style democracy, not alongside opportunistic venture capitalism, but real humanitarian aid which gets to the core of basic human necessities, that provides basic and tangible things that improve people's lives. Pour it in there. It would, to make an incredible impact would only financially take a fraction of what we spend, a tiny fraction on what we spend on military intervention. I wonder what would happen. Even if you only look at it from the economic standpoint, it's a cheap choice. Shouldn't we at least give it a try? Do you want your child or your grandchild to experience a school shooting? Of course not. What choices can you make right now? Will you buy them video games? that display violence? Will you insist on laws that restrict access to lethal weapons? Will you insist that schools train students in anti-bullying? Will you teach them how to solve disagreements with win-win solutions? Will you model for them making choices for life? You know, I just am astounded by what Don and Bonnie Kaufman and Gary Howard do once a month. They're part of the Reno County Impact Council. Some of you know about their work. This is a mandatory situation of people who have DUIs. They're required to come and hear from actual families what it's like to have a family member who is killed by a drunk driver. Now, they have to rehash their personal experiences all the time. It's, it's heart-wrenching. It's heart-wrenching. Why do they do it? They do it because they hope that some of those people who have had DUIs, who have made that kind of choice, they hope that when they hear how a death from a drunk driver impacts a real family, that maybe they will make a different choice in the future. That's why they keep doing it. When Cain murdered his brother Abel. God had a choice to make. God had a choice to make. God put a mark of protection on Cain. God protected the murderer. And God was foresightful. God ended the cycle of violence before it even got started. God made a choice for life. 
You know, friends, the, the church will never come to the end of needing to deal with difficult issues. I know we take a big sigh when we hear about that. But they won't ever go away. The church will always have to deal with difficult issues. As people of faith, we will continue to try and address those issues from a biblical perspective. Well, that's right. But when we do so, it's not enough to ask in some kind of flat, narrow way, what does the Bible say about it? We must ask, what is a choice for life? Because choosing for life is what the Bible wants us to do. Now, we're not naive when we face some of these very challenging problems. It's not always easy to tell which choice is a choice for life. Many years ago, there was a certain Mennonite congregation. They were struggling with how to respond to divorce. Well, there was a congregational meeting in this particular church. There was lots of sharing. There were strong words. There were tears. There was frustration. Opinions were divided. There was wondering how to move forward. And then there was a lull in the conversation. One of the elderly women of the church stood up. She asked everybody this question. Brothers and sisters, how many of you would like to live in a world that is less brutal? A world that is kinder and gentler? Raise your hands. It was very quiet. People were hesitant for a few minutes, but then hands began to go up until every single hand was raised. The elderly woman looked around at all her church friends and all their raised hands. And then she said, if that's the kind of world that all of you want to live in, then how can we respond to, a div to divorce in a way that helps the world be a kinder and gentler place? It's a powerful way to look at the issue. Uh, to be sure, that kind of framing question doesn't spell out all the details of a response to divorce that moves in the direction of life. It doesn't. But she did set the issue in the fullest possible context, in the context of God's desire for life, God's desire that all people have life abundantly, God's desire that all people be redeemed. I wonder if we could apply her insight to some of our very challenging situations in the Mennonite church today. I have set before you life and death. Choose life. Daily choosing life in every situation is what it means to be truly pro-life, not in the narrow one-issue sense of some Christians. Henry Nouwen says it well, the, the choice for life requires great attentiveness to the 
death forces within us. And a great commitment to let the forces of life dominate our every thought and every action. Brothers and sisters, where is God calling you right now in your life settings to choose life? Now, I know that all of us sometimes grow weary and discouraged from all the bad that there is in the world. Oh, it is significant, and it can feel overwhelming, right? When you do get discouraged, let me encourage you. Remember, remember the scales. Remember the choices. And as a person with choice, choices, realize that you can make a difference. You can tip the balance in favor of life. Every day, right where you are, right in the relationships you have, you can make the choice for life. No matter how small it might seem, the thing about choices for life, they have a reverberation to them. And remember something else, that there are others joining you making those choices. And all of us together, all of us together, will overcome evil with good because we choose life. I have a special last memory of Shirley Holland. It was a photograph that was displayed next to her closed casket. She is pictured in green scrubs and striking a pose that she repeated hundreds of times. She's holding a newborn baby and smiling from ear to ear. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly.